Uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Jim to come tonight, and he's going to share God's Word with us as we continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's welcome Pastor Jim. Hello, everybody. We are going to continue, as Pastor Paul said, with the Sermon on the Mount. And I was thinking about um, these verses tonight. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible or get on your your Bible app, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I don't have a lot of verses to teach about tonight, but just in these two verses, and these are the words of Jesus, there's a lot there. There may not seem to be, but there is a lot there when you begin to break it all down and talk about it and everything. And how many know that whenever the Son of God would speak in anything that he spoke, there's a lot there. There's a lot of content there because we're talking about the Son of God that is literally the Word that became flesh. He's, he's speaking to mankind. He was speaking to his followers, for, uh, to his disciples 2,000 years ago. And the same Word that he spoke then that was for them then is for us today because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that means the Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We live in an ever-changing society, but the Word of God never, ever changes. Uh, one scripture says, Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. You know what humans need to do? Humankind needs to get that Word of God settled within their hearts. It's already settled in heaven, but oh, that they would get the Word of God settled in their hearts. And here we are under the Christmas season, and we'll be talking about the birth of the Son of God. We'll be talking about how God became flesh and dwelt among men to feel what we feel, go through what we go through, be tempted like we are all tempted yet without sin. And um, it's amazing just to think about how that 2,000 years ago or thereabouts that God invaded earth and was born of a Virgin Mary. And so uh, this is a special time of year. Um, the message tonight, actually, I have two titles for it. Uh, they're kind of, uh, you know, it's a co-title type message. The narrow gate and straight way to glory, or two roads, but only one counts. And if there's one thing that is a part, before we get into the text, if there's one thing that is a great part of the American way of life, and not only the American way of life, but really we think about it all around the world, is that we have a lot of choices, right? We have a lot of choices out there in the world. Like some of, some of us in this room tonight, I being one of them, grew up with only three TV stations to watch, NBC, ABC, and CBS. And if we weren't using rabbit ears on the black and white television, console, you know, small console, then later on, Dad put up an antenna. But you couldn't always get real clear reception a lot of times, so he put a rotor, remember those, on the antenna. And we had the little dial inside the house. Wasn't push button, but dial north, northeast, 
east, so on and so forth, all those different directions until we got a clear picture. Remember those days? Mm-hmm. Three, three stations you could watch. Now you can literally have hundreds of stations to watch on television. And you sit there in your recliner with your remote, and you're going, well, that's not good, that's not good. Is there anything on tonight fit to watch? And, you just, and if, you, if you just get tired of doing this, going through all the channels, you go to the directory channel. That's what I do where we live. I go to the directory channel, and I watch these channels scroll in front of me up this way, and I'll see what's on at a certain time. So, okay. We'll watch that. Guess where I usually end up? Fox News. If I'm not on Fox News, then my wife says, oh, stop right there, HGTV. Oh, we got so many choices when it comes to television like we didn't have when we was growing up. And, of course, me being a carpenter by trade and doing all the work I've done over the years and kind of really messing my body up sometimes, you know, I don't want to stop on HGTV because I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of watching all those people work and remodel things. It makes me, actually what it does, it makes me wish I was 20 years younger than I am today, you know, because they can get down and do all they're doing. Think about this. Choices do you have at the grocery store? Just take one aisle, for instance. We're not going to cover the whole store. We don't have time for that, but let's go to the milk aisle. You can get skim milk, half percent milk, 1% milk, 2% milk, or the leaded stuff, the real thing, whole milk. Yeah, we've got so many choices. Now, guys, this is for you. If you've ever tried to go to Walmart, for instance, and buy the right kind of shampoo or conditioner that your wife uses, you can go down that aisle, and if you're really not sure of what she's been using and what she likes. If you've not been paying attention, you could spend 15 minutes trying to figure out, what wonder if it's that one. Let's see, what color was that bottle? Uh, how tall was it? was it? Was it round? Was it oval? Was it triangular shape? Or what? You better get it right. Or you'll be making another trip back to the store to get the right one after she tells you which one it is. So I'm not, if I had to go right now to the store and get what my wife Terry would use, I don't know what it would be because she does change from time to time. How many knows that's a woman's prerogative to change their mind? Not only move furniture around, but also to change her mind from time to time. A lot of choices there in that aisle for sure. Well, I think the point is clear. Having a lot of options is simply part of our way of life here in the United States and around the world today. But as we come to this passage in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus is very clear that when it comes to our lives, we don't have a lot of choices about how we will live. In fact, we really have only one choice, and that is to follow Jesus or not. Jesus presents two parallel descriptions of two gates and two ways, with two groups of travelers arriving at two very different destinations. In these descriptions, he makes it concise and clear why a person should choose to enter the narrow gate. Let's read Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard 
that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There are but two ways Jesus is talking about here, right and wrong. And throughout Scripture, you can see the twos, the good, the evil, uh, a way to heaven, a way to hell. One of those ways we're walking tonight, and I would hope that on a Wednesday night in Bible study that everybody that would come out is on the right way, and you're headed to heaven. But we never, as uh, ministers of the gospel, just presume that everybody is where they need to be with God, and that's why we give time for prayer at the end of the service. But uh, there's no middle place, there's no middle road to be on. Here in the scriptures, we see the distinction of humanity groups, saints and sinners, godly and ungodly, righteous and unrighteous, saved and the lost. Um, there's good news and there's bad news. Which would you want to hear first? The good news? That's good, but I'm going to give you the bad news first. Because that's what Jesus did here. That's what he did. Notice how Jesus refers to the destructive way first. Many people enter this wide gate and broad way that leads to eternal destruction that never, ever ends. Then he speaks of the straight gate and the narrow way that leads to the eternally blessed life that never, ever ends. That's the road I want to be on, where you have the eternally blessed life that never, ever, ever ends. Now, gates and roadways were pretty familiar to the people of that day some 2,000 years ago. Gates into a city, gates into the temple, etc. Narrow streets, perhaps in town, in town. Wider roads, perhaps out in the countryside. In these verses, Jesus is telling his listeners there are two gates, wide and narrow. There is no other gate. He doesn't mention any other kind of gate except one that is wide and one that is narrow. Jesus represents the narrow gate. And then he talks about that there's two ways. One way is hard, difficult, and one way is an easy way. And there is no other way but the hard or easy way. Jesus represents the hard way. Two crowds. Let me just stop here before I get into this one. If somebody ever told you that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you got saved, that everything was going to be rosy, they weren't telling you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Because where you have roses, you have thorns. Right? Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulations. Believers will have tests and trials one after the other because we have an adversary that comes against us. But he didn't stop there and just leave us hanging. In this world, you're going to have tribulations. He said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so if we put our focus on Jesus and realize he's our example of victory, of victorious living, even though he's the son of God, you know, and in him was no sin, but we still look to him as our example because we're disciples and he's rabbi, he's the master teacher. So let's go on then. There's also two crowds, one large, one small. There's no neutral group there. 
one large and one small. Guess what? The Jesus crowd is the small crowd. Our text bears that out. One scripture says that hell enlarges itself. It never says heaven enlarges itself, but hell enlarges itself every day. Because people have chosen to go the easy way and be on the road that leads to eternal destruction. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I don't usually do that. <laughs> I did act like Elvis when I was growing up, and then I turned around and start preaching behind a little wooden desk. You know, so I was going, I, I was walking the wide way and trying to walk the narrow way. You can't walk both roads. Well, then last of all, there's two destinations, destruction, eternal destruction, and life, eternal life. There is no other alternative. And thank God, Jesus represents life, everlasting. Now, today, not many people who are traveling, taking a long journey, want to travel on a two-lane highway, not with all the interstates we have. When I'm driving a Cavallo bus, I don't like to be on two-lane highways. I know how dangerous it can be, how narrow the roads and lanes can be. I'd rather be on the interstate. Uh, the thing about two-lane highways, they're not so straight many times, and many times they are very narrow. There are dangers along the way, such as cars and trucks coming at you, okay, going 55, 60, maybe 65 or 70 miles an hour even on a two-lane road. So literally, when they're coming towards you and you're going toward them, you're maybe only about four or five feet apart from a head-on collision. That's how close you are that if they came over the line to maybe instantly going out and meeting your maker. And then not only that, cars coming at you, trucks coming at you, there's vehicles that are behind you ready to eat your bumper because they want to pass you. You're abiding by the speed limit, the law of the land, and they want to go faster than that, so they just can't wait to get around you. And there's been many mishaps uh, with that. Not only that, but nighttime driving, especially when you may not have clear direction and you're counting on two small headlights to get you safely through the night to your destination. Now, I have tried this, but I don't recommend this for you to do. I have been out on the highways, typically always a two-lane when nobody's coming, and I have turned my lights off just for a few a couple seconds to see how dark it is. You say, that's not too bright. No, it's not bright when your lights are off. But I just want to see how dark it is. You know what? That'd be terrible to try to drive your car 55 miles an hour on a two-lane highway and not have those two little headlights, wouldn't it? But we take those two little headlights for granted perhaps from time to time. And uh, we really need those to travel those roads at night. And typically your two-lane highways are rougher roads, especially in Illinois. And not to mention if you have a breakdown on a two-lane highway you might have just a little gravel to get over onto or whatever and part of the car may be still in the lane and that's that's very dangerous and when there's an accident you may have to wait a while on some assistance and this two-lane highway is a hard way to go I'm trying to give you a picture of these two types of 
roads and, and bring that in, into relationship to what we're talking about tonight. Yet I want you to understand that on those two-lane highways, there is scenery of great beauty. One on those narrow two-lane roads, it's not an interstate that takes you up to Lookout Mountain. You may take an interstate down to Chattanooga, but you have to get off of the interstate and get on two-lane road that winds up to Lookout Mountain. Likewise, in southern Illinois, you don't have to go to Tennessee, but southern Illinois, to go to the Shawnee National Forest or the Garden of the Gods, you've got to get off the interstate, get on the two-lane roads, the narrow roads, in order to get to your final destination where there's great beauty. You will arrive in the vicinity on the two-lane road, but you have to get onto the, uh, or on the uh, interstate, but you have to get onto the two-lane roads to reach your destination. You see, not all roads lead us to the same place, geographically or eternally. I'll say that again. Not all roads lead us to the same place, geographically or eternally. Now, let's talk about interstates. Most people want to get off the narrow roads and onto an interstate. I've been there before, and I wonder where that next interstate sign is at. It says, take this right, and within a few miles, you'll be on the interstate. You've been there traveling and done that probably, looking for that interstate sign because you've gone far enough on that two-lane road, and you don't need to go any further on that two-lane road, and maybe you would if you wanted to, really, really wanted to, but you really want to get on the interstate. You don't want to have that danger and those different things we just talked about. So you're looking for that interstate. And, you know, we've got interstates today that's got two lanes, four lanes, five lanes, maybe six lanes broad, you know. I can handle, I can handle St. Louis. When I got on with Cavallo, I just told him up front, I said, don't send me to Chicago. Every time I go to Chicago, I get in, but I can't find my way out. And I know nobody there's wanting to keep me. I just get lost and can't get out of there. And if you're downtown, and even though you got GPS, sometimes those, those tall uh, skyscrapers block the signals, and you're still roaming around trying to find the way back to the interstate that goes towards Springfield. Wow, Chicago. But some people love Chicago. And um, I've never been to New York City. I have driven around L.A. That's terrible, too. Even though it's interstate, wide, a lot of traffic, everybody going fast, faster than the speed limit. But on the interstate, it's usually safe for travel, either in the daytime or at night. There are emergency lanes that are wide on the interstate, rest areas and call boxes along that Broadway. Usually, now usually, not always, the pavement is smoother on the interstates. Yet there are still horrific accidents. But on the interstate, help may be right behind you. You may not know it, but there could be a state trooper behind you, or there could be an ambulance behind you, or, you know, they can call, somebody sees the accident, they call 911, and just within a matter of maybe a few minutes, uh, you can have help there perhaps. And so we say about the interstate, that's pretty much the easy way to travel if you're going to travel on a long trip. And a lot of people like to go that way. Most people are out there on the interstate than on the two-lane highways. At your destination point after traveling the interstate, remember what we talked about on the two-lane highway? It's narrow. Not a lot of people on it. Um, there's dangers along the way. 
You know, when you liken this to living the Christian life and being on the narrow path, there's dangers along the way. The enemy's there to test, to try to tempt you, to try to steal, kill, and destroy that which God has purchased and that we have given our lives to him, and now you become an enemy of the devil before you were an ally of the enemy. You were his friend. But since you said yes to Jesus Christ, basically the devil took out a contract over your life to try to kill, steal, and destroy you. And he won't stop until the day you go home, until the day we go home. But at the end of that journey on that two-lane highway, there's beauty out there, like we talked about. And when you're usually on, a, an, on an interstate and you stay on that interstate and you're going into another city or something somewhere, there might be some beauty along the way, some rolling hills, some mountains. You may go on an interstate that runs close to a river or whatever or over the river. But you may end up in a city jungle filled with all the trappings of sin and ugliness. Remember Abraham's choice and Lot's choice, Genesis 13, 12 Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. King James says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And we know the end result of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, when we're traveling on two-lane road, many times we look for an exit that will take us to that easier-traveled, highly crowded interstate because it's safer. Yet when it comes to our eternal destination, Jesus is letting us know we'd better enter through him the straight and narrow gate and his ways of righteous living the narrow way. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. Why do you think there's so many empty seats in a great church like Calvary on a Wednesday night? Or even maybe on a Sunday morning? Why aren't we just packed in both campuses? It's because a lot of people have chosen that easy way. I can sleep in on Sunday morning. I, I can go shop and, and get there before all the crowd gets there on Sunday morning. After all, it's Christmas, and I've got to buy all those gifts that everybody wants. So many different things they'll come up with, you know, why they can't make it to church on, church on Sunday morning, but then you see them at work on Monday morning. So many enter through this gate that is wide and this way that is easy that leads to destruction. And Jesus has promised to help those who are traveling on the right road, which in this case is the road less traveled. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is not encouraging committed disciples, Christians, to press on along the narrow way and just be rewarded at the end. He is rather commanding his disciples. He said, enter in. He didn't say, would you enter in? He said, enter in. So he's commanding his disciples to enter the way, marked by persecution, but yet the reward is out there in the end to the faithful. The faithful traveler here endures unto the end. He or she that endures unto the end, the same will be saved. 
forever and ever. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. The true gate is both narrow and difficult. If the entrance to your life's journey is a wide one, and your road is very wide and well-traveled, you do well to watch out. In other words, you get a little lax, and you're not as watchful and prayerful when you take that road that, well, everybody else is on it. I raised two boys, and I remember everybody else is doing it. Well, just because everybody else is on it and everybody else is doing it doesn't make it the right way to go, does it? Because right is still right even if nobody's doing it, and wrong is still wrong if everybody's doing it. Now, Matthew seven thirteen, where he said, enter by the narrow gate, as if hardly wide enough to admit one at all. This expresses the difficulty of the first right step in faith, to enter in, to be born again. Involving in this first step, as it does, a triumph over all our natural inclinations, there is victory in taking that first step in allowing Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life. There's victory in taking that first step. And guess what it leads to? More victory. If you're a serious follower, if you're a serious disciple of Jesus, you'll go from faith to faith, from victory to victory. You know, Paul said in one of his writings, he said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, most people would just be happy to know they were a conqueror. But he said, we're more than conquerors. Well, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It means that you, you made it through this difficulty with the help of God. You came up against another wall or another mountain, but you made it over that one or through that one or around that one by the help of God. You came up against this sickness, this disease, or whatever the case might be, but through prayer, maybe through fasting, through the prayers of the church, you made it through those situations by the help and the grace of God. More than a conqueror means that you keep on keeping on, even though you're coming up against difficulties here and there, you keep on keeping on, and you're more than a conqueror because you're doing it more than one time. You're conquering more than one time. So there's great victory. Notice the word strive used in Luke 13, 24 in the King James Version and also in the ESV Version where Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And in the ESV, strive, there it is again, to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That word strive means make great effort to achieve or obtain something, struggle or fight vigorously to get it. Do you know why it's so difficult for some people to make that journey from a church pew or a church auditorium chair like these from there down to the altar when someone gives an altar invitation to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? It's because there's two voices that are speaking to them. The Spirit of God is speaking to them, you need to go. I love you so much. I gave, I, I sent my son. You need to go. The Father's speaking to them through the Holy Spirit. 
And then that voice on the other is the enemy saying, ah, you don't need to go down there. You're going to look ridiculous if you go down there. People are going to laugh at you if you go down there. You're going to be embarrassed if you go down there to make a public confession. But we all have to do it. We can't be secret service disciples. Jesus was not afraid to be in the open for us and to go all the way to the cross 2,000 years ago. Stripped naked and bleeding and beaten and his back torn open. So unrecognizable by even his own disciples. He was so marred. And if Jesus would do that for us, then why wouldn't we do something for him like go down to the altar and make a public confession of faith to the Lord? We confess to him our sins, not to one another, but to him our sins and we invite him and ask him to deliver us and set us free and pardon us and, and come into our life and grant unto us eternal life. And he does just like that. He can't snap with his fingers anymore. That one I can. But this is where the feeling is gone. Aren't you glad you made that public confession? Mm-hmm. We can't be ashamed of him, the Bible says. Now, another thing the enemy will do to try to make it hard for people, especially in this 21st century that we live in today and the culture that we live in today, it wasn't like this when I grew up in the church. There wasn't so many different ways to get to God, but now they say all roads lead to God. And we're all praying to the same God, and we're all worshiping the same God, and on and on and on. And my answer to them is, no, you're not. If it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're not worshiping the same God that I'm worshiping or serving the same God that I'm serving or the same God this Bible talks about. It's some other God, small g. I was actually preaching a tent crusade in Springfield on the southeast part of the, the city several years ago. And... Um, I don't remember what I was preaching, but I was really going at, you know, preaching this message. And pretty soon, here comes about three of these young ladies outside of the tent mocking and making fun. They went right up to a tree and started hugging the tree. I'm telling you the truth. They started hugging the tree. You've heard of tree huggers, right? New Age movement and tree huggers and those that are into the uh, Mother Earth and all the things that they do, and they were hugging this tree. And I said, I thought to myself, because I can do two things at once. I can walk and chew gum. And I can preach and think something else at the same time out here. And I'm preaching, and while I'm preaching, I'm thinking over there to myself real quick, the only thing you're going to get from hugging that tree is bark on your clothes. That tree is not going to answer you. God created those trees. You know, God created the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that is, around, that is around us that we see. God, in the beginning, he created everything. But they're trying to tell our children today, they're trying to tell our kids at school and in universities, many, many professors, trying to tell that, you know, there's these people that say there's only one way to get to God, there's only one way to get to heaven, they're just narrow-minded well, yes, we are narrow-minded. Jesus is talking about how that we need to be thinking about this straight gate and this narrow way that leads to life everlasting. 
When it comes to saying there's more than one way to God or more than one way to get to heaven, we have to realize that that is the culture we're living in today. And, and Dr. J. Hinckley did a very good job explaining all these different religions where there may be a little bit of truth in there. They just put enough in there as a hook to draw you in, and then you get deceived through their teachings, and you know who the one that's behind all deception is, is Satan. And so people get deceived through all these teachings thinking, well, yeah, you know, I can get to God this way or I can get to God that way. I don't have to go by the way of the cross. I don't have to go through Jesus Christ. But there's not many ways. There's only one way. The enemy of our soul tries his best to stop you from going the right and only way because the enemy knows who he had to deal with 2,000 years ago at Calvary, and he thought he won the battle there until... Footsteps were heard in the corridors, and it was Jesus Christ who took the keys of death and hell from Satan, preached to the captives, rose on the third day just like he said he would. No other God has given a son, his only begotten son, born of a virgin Mary. No other God has done that. Because there is no other God. These are all small G's. are all idols that people have established and set up for themselves. We shall have no other gods before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, when he was speaking to Thomas, of whom we many times call Doubting Thomas, but some of us might have been in that same category back then, Jesus told him when Jesus was uh, letting them know that he was going away to prepare a place for them, that where he was, they could be there too, and they didn't know where he was going and how to get there. They didn't know the way. And Jesus said to him, to Thomas, and of course the others heard, I'm sure, he said, I am the way. I like that. He didn't say, I am one of many ways. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he says, no one, I still believe no one means no one. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus Christ. You can't get there any other way. He is that, that narrow gate, and he is that straight, narrow way. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We need to be able, as disciples of Christ, to give people an answer for the hope that we have within us. And if you haven't been asked yet why you have joy on a Monday morning when everybody else is just dragged into work or whatever, if you haven't been asked some serious life questions, you may be before very long. When we see everything that's going on in our world today and we see everybody or so many people taking the, the uh, entering through that wide gate and, that, and, that, and traveling that broad way that leads to destruction. We see so many people going that direction. So much corruption in the world today like never before. 
when we see all this happening, there may be people that start coming to you asking you, okay, tell me a little bit more about your life. Tell me how it is you're so joyous. Tell me why you have love like you do in your heart for other people that you don't even know. How is it that you go to church? I see you leave your house and you've got your Bible and you're on your way to church. And that's just an open door to be able to uh, have that conversation with them. Christmas time is a great time of the year, just like Easter time is a great time of the year to have that conversation with people about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and doing and what he's going to do. And, but really, we don't just need to limit that to uh, Easter or December. We need to be ready to give an answer at any time. We need to be ready, willing, and able to give an answer. You don't have to know all the scriptures. You don't have to memorize everything. You know what God has done in your life, don't you? In other words, you have a personal testimony. And before you can have a testimony, you've got to go through some tests, some trials, some difficulties. And so just tell them what the Lord has done for you. And leave the rest up to God. Plant the seed. Pray over their life and watch God bring a change to them. I'm praying for family members when I sent out the card to invite for a Calvary Christmas. I sent to um, uh, one of my brothers and um, I've got one other and another sister here in town that are unchurched. Years ago, they knew what it was like to go to church, but they've been out of church for so long. And I pray that God would use this and that they'll say, hey, we need to go to that. That sounds like it'll be a fun night. We need to go to Calvary Christmas. And I believe the Holy Spirit can do a work. Amen? In wrapping this up tonight, the, the discipleship which Jesus requires is absolute Radical in the sense that it gets to the root of human conduct and to the root of relationships between God and men. A person either enters the kingdom or they do not. When we pass from this life, we either enter the kingdom or we do not. They walk the road that leads to life or they walk the road that leads to destruction. And nothing in all of your life is of greater significance than this choice of whether you will follow Jesus or not. The Sermon on the Mount is not about a call to self-improvement or you turning over a new leaf. I've been outside when it's uh, just used as an illustration, but I've been outside in the fall and I've seen the beautiful leaves that have fallen off the trees and they're laying on the ground and I've picked up one of those leaves and I've looked at it and I've turned it over and guess what? It looks like it's the same on the other side. The stem may curl differently when you turn it over, but the leaf itself looks the same. So when New Year's 2018 comes around, people say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Well, guess what? You're going to look the same on the other side. It's more than turning over a new leaf. It's more than um, self-improvement or some self-improvement workshop. It's more than some New Year resolution that maybe they only keep for a few weeks or a few months and they break it. 
It's all about a call to a life of radical, absolute discipleship where you say yes to the Lord and you're committed to him from this day forward. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And even that part of that song that says, though none go with me, still I will follow. What if my brothers and my sister that unsafe tonight, they don't go, they don't come, they don't want to attend church or they don't want to serve God? I'm still going to hold on and go all the way with Jesus. Amen. That's going to mean more to us in the end than anything else is to know that we have made it home. We've made it home. There are two roads, but only one that counts. And that road that counts is by entering the narrow gate that Jesus represents. And by going that straight way, the righteousness of God, that way, that leads to glory. Leads to glory up there, glory land. Tonight, uh, just for a minute, you've probably already done this when you filled out your envelope. But if you're like me, you've still got maybe some other envelopes to give out, and you've got some tickets to hand out and give out. And where we live, there's uh, several people that need to give their hearts to the Lord. They're, they're good people. But we don't get in by our own righteousness. That's just filthy rags. We don't get in by just being good or by doing good works. We get in because of the sacrifice of God's own son 2,000 years ago. He paid the price. He paid a debt he didn't know. We owed the debt, the penalty of sin, death. But he himself, who knew no, knew no sin, took sin upon himself. The heaviest weight that he bore that day was not that wooden cross but it was the sins of the whole world throughout all the ages that he took upon himself. And he paid the price because his, his blood was not just blood of another spotless lamb, but his blood was precious blood for it washed the sins of man. So I want you for just a minute, if, if you'd stand and just close your eyes and Forget about your surroundings for a moment and think about that friend or loved one that is on that broad way, the easy way that leads to destruction. Everybody else is on it. Everybody else is doing it. I might as well join in and have fun too. You only live once. We're born to live, to die, to live forever. But going to hell, going the way of destruction, eternal destruction is not living. That's the second death. And you never escape. You're not annihilated, but you're tormented forever. And God didn't create hell for 
you and I, that was for the devil and his angels, but he can't let sin in his presence. So I'm thankful that we've accepted Jesus, but we need others to hear the Spirit's call. And you could be that person that reaches out to someone. Maybe it's not a family member, but somebody else that you could reach out to, invite them to Calvary Christmas, and they can sense something in that service that though there's fun and it's good time and fun music and all of that, yet Pastor Mark's going to bring a, a short word and, and bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to them, and that the Holy Spirit will bring not condemnation, he doesn't do that, but conviction, a convincing of that individual that they're a sinner and they need to be saved. They need to get on the right road. So think about that person for a minute, and then we'll close in prayer. Father, tonight we come to you, and we so thank you for sending your son. We so thank you for this time of year when we can remember of how God, how you invaded earth some 2,000 years ago, and redemption's plan would be worked out through your son's life through his living, through his preaching, through his raising the dead, healing the sick, open blinded eyes, all the miracles that he performed, and of how people turned to you, and yet still many did not. Still many stayed on that broad road leading to destruction. And it's like that today, and you said in your word that few would be those that would find and get on the straight and narrow. But Lord, I thank you for your son, born of a virgin Mary, and of how that he lived a sinless life, and he died for each and every one of us, and he died for those whom we're thinking about tonight that are not saved. This is a great time of the year to receive the greatest gift that's ever been given. You were wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. Mary wrapped a present to the world, and that gift still keeps on giving today, giving eternal life to all of those who would call in faith upon you. Believe in their heart, confess with their mouth, and they will be saved. And so touch the hearts and the lives of the people we're thinking about right now, of our brothers, of our sisters, our uncles, our aunts, our cousins, maybe even a grandparent, maybe a husband, a spouse, a son or a daughter. All these souls are precious to you and should be precious to us where we pray for them to be saved. And let there be a work done in their lives this Christmas 2017 in a world that is rapidly changing all around us when we're talking about nuclear war and things like that, and we know that we're living in the last days, in such a time as this, Lord, let Calvary Church so shine as a beacon of light, as we can see that cross for miles coming down the road, let people come to this place for Calvary Christmas. And let them come the following Sundays and Christmas Eve Sunday. Let there be decisions made for you. And we will never fail to give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. God bless you for coming tonight. Be safe going home.